This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Today's episode is sponsored by Organifi, the world's best superfoods company. Visit Organifi.com and use coupon code SOBERLIFE at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Welcome back to another incredible, amazing episode of the Sober Life Audio Experience. This is your host, Brian Amaro. Hey, and your and your boy Roman. Romy Rome. Romy Roro. What up, brother? What's good, dude? We're back at it. Yes, We're sir. In the studio. Here we are. Feeling like a rock star. Yeah. So we got an incredible guest with us today. We do, man. I'm excited. I'm He's got quite a story. Ooh. Uh, against all odds. Yeah. You know, born in a dungeon lair. I don't know and about that. the modern day <laughs> Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so we got our bat signals up. The eye is in the sky. And here we are. Welcome, everybody. Jared Schneed. What up? What up? What up? What up? Schneid. You're close enough. Everybody gets it wrong. I'm good, though. Okay. <laughs> Schneid. Schneid. It's not a Schneid remark either. <laughs> uh, well, there's no redos, so we're just going right. to we'll just go with that. that. We'll go yeah. with it. Schneed it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's so schneedy over here. Oh, God. Just get off the Schneid. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jared. Before we start any show and going go into the, the deep, dark stuff, we always have three very special questions for mm. our guests. Are you ready? Sure. Question number one, what is your vision? See, that's a very broad question. What's my vision for what? My life? What's my vision for the world? What's my vision for – can you be more specific? Yeah. What is your vision? (laughs) Well, let's see. I'll just go my own personal view then. Yeah. My my vision is to be be useful, to be inspirational to others, to – uh, to be to be of service, to be useful to God, to uh, people around me, uh, and and to to just help. Word, Dope. word. That's Got good. It. Question number two: What do you love? Jeez, there's a lot there. It's just what the top ones. I mean, what I do you go, love? My son, mm. um, God, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, my family. No particular order here. I'm just going right off the yeah, top no, of my this head. Is good. Shoot it um, from the hip. Yeah, yeah. everything. Um, life, life. People. Mm-hmm. Um, my job. Word. My life. <laughs> Got it. It's good. Cool. Question number three: What is one book that has greatly impacted and shaped your life? Well, that's easy. Big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, that was like a no-brainer. Cha-cha-cha. Easy. Over here. Perfect. I think we're going to get into some heavy-hitting, powerful... What is it about that book? Well, it's a design for living. I never never understood... Like, I've I've read that book easily over 100 times over the past... 15 years probably. Yeah. And it was just so incredibly boring 
I like it's a hard read written in the 30s yeah. a, a bunch of words that don't make sense that nobody uses anymore just right. the style, the writing I didn't I didn't understand any of it and I I couldn't relate but once somebody sat down with me and and uh and and helped me go through it in in a very specific way in a very specific fashion uh I started to see myself all through the book and then because of that it came alive for me Right, and once I was able to see my own my own life related to my own experiences, and and it came alive. That was my whole that that changed my life. Right, well, it's full of directions, uh-huh. and mm. I never uh, I never saw that before. I just thought it was just some boring old story. Yeah, and like you have fiction, like oh whatever, just another book. But it's full of directions, and right. for me, it's all about following the directions today. What in that book do you resonate with and what had it become? What was it just the process in general of going through it with someone or like when did you realize that there was something in it for you? Well, I guess I realized that there was something in it for me when my life was on the line. Mm. I couldn't there was no it ta- it talks about in the book uh slowly eliminating alternatives. Until you until you get down to two, right. you know. I I kept thinking like, oh, like I don't need to do this. It's going to be, uh, I, if I if I just get the right job, it's going to fix me. If I just get the right girlfriend, it's going to fix me. If I have a family, if I the right sum of money in my bank account, if I live in the right place, uh, any of these things, and I I would get these things, and then then it's not enough. I had these mm. insatiable needs. So they they could never be satisfied, but. Once uh, it talks about slowly eliminating these alternatives until you get down to two, mm. die an alcoholic death or live life on a spiritual basis. And the funny thing about that was, I mean, when are alternatives not easy? Alternatives aren't easy when they both look e- both uh, equally distasteful mm. or they both look the same. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. dying an alcoholic death and living life on a spiritual basis looked the same to me because I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't tell. I thought – I thought uh, a spiritual basis of living meant uh, no cussing, hmm. uh, no chasing women, got to go to church all the time, no right. no fun, no doing any of the things that I like to do. So not only was I like uh, – that's something that I couldn't do. You know, I wasn't trying to be like that anyway. But, right. uh, but I was so far off. I was so far off of what it was because my – like my view, my my uh, my prejudice of what a spiritual life looked like was so incredibly far off of what my perception of it is today. Powerful, dope. What um? Well, how'd you realize that though? I mean, it sounded like it was uh, getting clear on that it was life and death. Mm-hmm. What what took you there? I mean, obviously you're in recovery. How long have you been sober, Jared? Uh, um, going on seven years. It'll be seven in March. When did you start drinking, using? 15, 15 and a half. What'd that look like? How I was drinking and using? Um, it was rough. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, it, started, it started early, um, just uh, like my parents, uh, non-alcoholics, uh, yet my dad, my, my mom's the type of woman, she'll drink like a glass of champagne, get kind of woozy and, and I'm good. I'm good. You know, set it down. Right. My, my dad might drink a beer or like a glass of scotch, like once in a blue moon, okay. yet he kept three stocked liquor cabinets. <laughs> so, and they were just sitting there. So one day. I love those family members. Right. right? <laughs> so. Thanks grandpa. One, one, uh, one day 
uh, these these people. I my whole life, I just felt I felt so disconnected, so separate, never a part of. I never fit in. And once uh, like these these kids that uh, they came they came to call on me to to go do something. My parents happened to be gone this particular day. So they come in, and one of them immediately notices the liquor cabinet strategically placed by the front door. And he comes in, and a couple of us, like three or four of us at least, and he's like, hey, he's like, hey, you want a drink? And me desperately seeking acceptance, validation, right. everything. So, well, yeah. It yeah, was like an it. easy. Yeah so, yeah. so we open it up, and we just start taking taking long pulls of these bottles, and I didn't know what any of these were. The first one I grabbed, I think, was like dry vermouth, which is a mixer, which has no alcohol in it, which tastes horrible. Yeah. And I said, well, <laughs> this is this is awful. But I got around. I think the the uh, the actual liquor that I got to was uh, uh, was a bottle of rum. Right. And I threw it back, took you know a big long pull off of it, and I remember that it burned all the way down my throat, and it hit my stomach, and then it happened. Just like that, that thing that makes me bodily and mentally different from my fellows occurred right there. All of a sudden, I was I was comfortable standing where I was standing, uh, doing what I was doing with the people that I was doing it with, and I mm-hmm. never felt like that before in my life. Wow! All of a sudden, it was just like this is right. That's Every- so- that sounds like an incredible experience. <laughs> it was that that, yeah. that was the first spiritual experience when alcohol worked. Yeah, and. And then I just I started thinking, well, I got to do this all the time, and <laughs> right. and so and that's how it started. And I mean, anything that was there, you know, it's like I didn't know at the time, but like I was I was seeking acceptance, I was seeking emotional security, I was seeking right. validation, and alcohol and later drugs uh, gave me all those. Mm-hmm. It, it it did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and I just spit on the mic, <laughs> <laughs> and. So I got uh, – I started doing just whatever I could get my hands on and my uh, my parents didn't, didn't – I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. I grew up in uh, Rancho Penasquitos, upper okay. middle class suburbia and yeah, only child, nothing like <laughs> – like we, we had some money. So it's like I, I don't know if I would say I was spoiled but like I, we did all right. Yeah. And now I'm not going to sit here and like – and you know my parents have been married forty nine years. Wow! So, like, I'm not going to sit here and report to you that I'm an alcoholic because you know I I grew up uh, in in Penisquitos and we had some money because you know somebody grew up grew up in the hood. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not going to report to you that I that I'm an alcoholic uh, because you know my parents are are you know still married and like they had some alcohol but ra- rarely drank it because someone somebody grew up with alcoholic parents. Right. You know, I'm an alcoholic for two reasons and two reasons only. One once I put it in me, I can't tell you when I'm going to stop. And when I honestly don't want to do it anymore and put and and drink or put it in me, I do it anyway. Okay, what got you to that point? Yeah. Like what got you figuring out that like even asking that question like cause it sounds like initially it was a lot of fun. It was good. It, was it working seemed like with it, you. yeah, it worked. Mm-hmm. So what what had you get to a point to start asking these questions of hey, like can I actually control this? And uh what would even have you want to stop? Well, it was uh I kind of got I guess I would say I got pushed into recovery. <laughs> uh I was 16 years old. I mean, I, if I really look at it, I had kind of a short run of the fun part. 
Right. I started at maybe 15, at around 16 years old. My parents, like, I'm, I'm being defiant. I'm not listening to them. I'm getting in fist fights with my dad. Uh, they, they didn't know how to handle me. So uh, they, they sent me off to rehab, 16 years old. Nice. Drove me up to Los Angeles, dropped me off at this house and said, we're leaving and you're not. And so I ended up staying there about a month, got in a fight with somebody, got kicked out. And uh, they were about to tra- like just call my, my probation officer at the time because I was on juvenile probation, had been in and out of juvenile hall. And they said uh, – and the, the owner of the house, some old heroin addict with a bunch of time, he's all, no, I'd rather see you on the street than in jail. I said, thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, I go uh, – they just brought, bought me a bus ticket from Long Beach to San Diego and I got off, uh, got off the train – in San Diego with a couple bags full of my stuff. Right. No idea what was going on. Upper, upper middle class white boy from a good neighborhood on the street. Like I was scared. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. I called my parents crying. Come pick me up. I'm over in Vista or something. Yeah. And they drove out there. It was like late at night. Pulled up. My dad just cracks the window and he says, we're only going to take you back to the recovery house. I said, no, no, I'm not going back to the recovery house. I want to come home. He said, no, we're only taking you back to the recovery house. I said, well, I'm not going there. He's all right. Rolled up the window, drove off. <laughs> and wow. that that started the whole – it's like that doesn't happen to normal people. No. Mm-hmm. And you would think that it's like, well, here, here's my choice. What's, right. what's my choice going to be? It's like, okay, well, I can go this direction or the complete opposite. So I, I just chose that way and, and uh, being homeless, uh, homeless, I guess, without a, without a place to live. Yeah. I guess that would be my definition. Did definition you do the, the couch surf? Oh, yeah. I did that with everybody. Yeah. Like every p- person I knew all over San Diego. And then it was like I was young. Yeah. So it's like school was out. It was over the summer. Then summer came. Uh, summer ended. Everyone went back to school. I couldn't stay anywhere anymore. Right. Turned myself into the cops because I had a warrant and and got sent to another rehab. Did that like another year or two, two or three more rehabs until I turned 18. Yeah. And then – I, I left the the one when I was 18, and it's like, hey, you're not on juvenile probation anymore, so kind of do what you want. Yeah. And and landed in with uh, one of my friends that I grew up with and went to, went to high school with, and his brother was the dope man. Oh. And, like, like, you wanted a pound of dope, he had it on hand. And so I just became, like, his right-hand man. Right. He, and it's like I had to support myself, so, my like, I, I would just boost stuff all day. And bring it back to him and like, he'd just pay me for it in dope. Right. And I just, uh, and I, it would like, I guess you could say I managed for a while just in totally like an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, I remember going up to him. Um, actually, no, he, he came up, he had just, uh, he just got some, some different kind or something like that with a bit. He always had a big dinner plate with a big mountain of meth on it. And, and he did lines all day. So he comes out. He's, oh, you want some? I'm just all, oh, no. I, I remember saying this. I'm just all, no, no, I got to see my parents tomorrow. I don't want to be all too messed up. And he gave me the weirdest look. Mm. And he's just all, okay. <laughs> and, and like, I didn't even think anything. I'm just all, well, no, I got to see my parents. I don't want to be too late, but whatever. Right. So, and then the next memory after that, I remember I was working at a 7-Eleven down the street, waking him up because I had the morning shift. I'm all, hey, can I get a line? And he's all, what? I'm all, I got to go to work, man. Can I get a line? And he's, he got up, kind of smiled. He's all, you're addicted now, huh? <laughs> I'm just all, yep, guess so. Damn. And, like, it, wa- it wasn't a big deal to me. Was that the first time you you kind of had that thought? Yeah. 
Yeah. But but it wasn't like, oh my god, I'm addicted. It's like, yep, just like totally numb. It was numb. just like normal. Yeah, just that's the only life I knew. Right? Yeah, well, it, when you surround yourself with people that are doing the same thing, yep. that's normal. Yep. I lived okay. there for a couple years and uh, went out, like still stealing stuff the whole time. Went out freelance after that. <laughs> <laughs> and... And just like I just never want I never wanted the party to end. I didn't want to have to pay rent. I didn't want to have to pay bills. I didn't want any responsibilities. Right. Like I knew I like my like I'm an alcoholic and I go to extremes, right? And an addict. So like whatever I do, I want to excel at. So I decide to be the best possible criminal that I could be. Mm. And like every <laughs> like I, I went through the apprenticeship for, crim, for criminology. Yeah. And and it's like I had scams for everything. I knew how to get by without having to pay for anything. And it was like – it was a job not having a job. Right. Yeah. So once I got uh, – So what got you sober, dude? The, well, That's what I wanted like, to know. How, <laughs> how did that turn out, right? Yeah. Being a professional criminal. Being uh, – if you mean like uh, – it didn't work out well. Yeah. I guess the good – like I, I've been to jail. I've been to state prison. Um like jail more times than I can count. I did. I did a prison term. Um, good criminals don't get caught. Right. So I was not a good criminal. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it didn't work out well. I thought I had it going on. You know, it's like I I stole like mountains full mountains of of cool electronics and cars and all kinds of stuff, but didn't have nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Just a means to an end. So right? you you got sober. What age did you get sober? Um, I first got sober in uh, – I got I got sent to prison in 2006. Okay. April 20th, 2006. A, uh, um, I was stealing cars at the time, was up in Escondido, um, took, a, uh, took a truck, rocked it for like three weeks or something like that and got caught up driving it, high-speed chase down the five, um, <laughs> like wrecked it, wrecked a cop car. Nice. And, and uh, went to prison. Going for it. Yeah, yeah. And went to prison. Got out of prison. Did uh, I got three years, eight months? Did were, about, you, were you sober that entire time? Yeah. Okay. And uh, and like the handcuffs went on. I'm all the like something's got to change. I yeah. don't know what I got to do, but something's got to change. Um, finished. Uh, went to fire camp. Um, like did a did a program in there where right. if you do this program, they'll like um, parole will send you to like a a, a a program outside once you parole and pay for it. Right. So after that, I went to the fellowship center, ah, did that program, um, was eligible for this, this special like bill that they just passed discharge parole in five months, free and clear. Wow. And, and, uh, like everything started working out. Mm-hmm. It's like, got a good job, got another really good job. And, and it was just like, but I didn't do any of the work. Like right. you hear it like at meetings, like work, like get a sponsor, work the steps, go like, you know, go to meetings, uh, like read the book, everything. And I did some of it, but uh, like I didn't really work the steps. Right. Like I just kind of took what I, I'm like, oh, I can do a little bit of this or I can do a little bit of that or, oh, I don't need to do that. And I just like somehow I managed to to not drink. I wouldn't stay, stay, stay sober, mm-hmm. but I remained dry for about four and a half years. Okay. And then uh, – like life kept happening. Like right. got got a girlfriend, got you know, had the jobs, like wasn't uh um didn't have time to go to meetings, didn't have time to work with other people. So big surprise that one day like the thought just came that like, oh I like I didn't really have a problem with, with beer, with alcohol. I just gotta stay away from the hard shit. Right. So I got uh so I started drinking, then all of a sudden uh 
I'm like my chick and I were sneaking alcohol into the house because we we lived with another sober couple. Then we move out. We moved to Oceanside, and unbeknownst to me, uh, I moved right onto the notorious party street in Oceanside on Myers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and then uh, her and I broke up. And then I just like just like one day, just the rationale just it just became okay one day to just what take one hit of the pipe. Right. And I'm all, no, I got this. It's going to be different this time because, uh, cause, you know, I could do it now. Like I've been sober long enough where I could handle it. Right. And yeah. it never it never works out. So that's, Yeah, that's not how it works. So I got uh, – um, that was that was the first time I was sober. Then this time, like I started – you know, I, I started getting loaded again. I got uh, – I must have lasted eight months, eight months out there. And uh-huh. then all of a sudden I'm uh, from like oh I can just drink one beer to all of a sudden I'm I'm selling dope I'm I'm selling other drugs I'm drinking I'm doing all kinds of, uh, on a, on a daily basis and then all of a sudden I'm catching cases and mm-hmm. like I'm back in this I'm like free and clear off everything then all of a sudden I'm back in the system and I'm trying to like I'm going to uh, I'm trying to uh, cheat the drug tests on like Prop 36. I'm <laughs> yeah. getting the fake urine. I'm making like I'm manufacturing like a whizinator. And wow. yeah, it's like you went all the way. Oh yeah, and yeah, and then I just like I'm all this is too much work. I'm just not going to go. And so <laughs> so I just like I stopped going. And then a warrant came out. Ended up getting a, in a fight with my roommate because I wasn't paying rent either. And uh, <laughs> cops showed up, took me to jail. Came back, raided my room, found all kinds of stuff that I wasn't supposed to have, and they said, "Oh, like, oh, you're looking at a prison term." I'm all, "Yeah, that's fucking great." So, by the grace of God, I missed going back to prison, mm. and they gave me county time, like okay. a year, and released to a program. Okay, so I jumped to sign that, did a couple months, uh, got spit out into a program, and I'm and I said, "I don't know what I got to do, but I have to do something different." Yeah. And so I just I just started taking a little bit more suggestions, but I wasn't really sure about these steps. It right. didn't it didn't I didn't make sense to me how twelve sentences were going to change my life. <laughs> I, I, it didn't make any sense. I'm real logical. Yeah. And it didn't. Uh, it just I didn't see how it was going to work, so I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't just going to step out in faith. And again, I just because I took a little bit of initiative, and it's like I worked the steps. I didn't really do like everything it says. I got a sponsor. Worked uh, worked with him, and it's like we went through the book. Right. I worked the steps, and I like about three years sober. I was uh, like, I I had the girl, I had the uh, the place to live by the beach, I had the job, I had like a little bank account, I had the vehicle, I had all these things that I thought were supposed to make me happy inside. Right, and I was dying, and I couldn't put my finger on why. I didn't understand, and. My uh, my chick was just barely starting to try and get sober then, and she's going to this meeting on Wednesday night, <clears throat> and uh, she's okay. all and she's all I'm getting she's all I'm like calls me up hey I'm I'm really getting a lot out of this meeting that I'm going to you should check it out and it's like me and my my eight buddies that started a meeting in Allied Gardens we were getting fifty people a night and it's like I had like had commitments and I'm doing all this stuff <clears throat> and I'm just all oh, I'm like. I'm I'm great. I'm glad you're getting a lot out of it, but, but I got my own stuff to do on Wednesdays. Right. She's, oh, okay, whatever. Next week hits me up again. I'm getting so much out of this. You got to come check it out. I'm good. I'm good. She's, oh, whatever. Next week hits me up again, and and <clears throat> she's like, oh, please come, she's like check it out. Like I'm getting so much. I'm all 
I love you, and I'm so glad that you're on fire for your recovery. But honestly, you're coming across like one of the Jehovah's Witnesses that come to your door. And she's like, oh, fuck you, whatever. Uh, and, and I started thinking, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm prejudiced. Yeah. I'd never been. I'd heard things yeah. about this meeting, but I'd never been. So I'm like, okay, I'll go just once to check it out, to see what it's about. Right. And I went. Must have been 150 people in that room that night. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in the back, half measures row where I would normally sit. And it's like everybody that got up, it was uh, like just gold. It was all solution. And this guy got up and he started talking about the bedevilments, how he was having problems in personal relationships. And I was thinking like, man, eh, people aren't really treating me how I think they should be. They're, <laughs> they're not doing what I want them, right. want them to do. Yeah. How, how he was full of fear. He was a prey to misery and depression. He can't, couldn't control his emotional nature. He felt useless. He was unhappy. Uh, he, uh, he couldn't be of real use to other people. And I was thinking like, well, I had a job, I'm getting a paycheck, but I didn't like what I did. It was just a right. means to an end. Like I had almost three years sober. Nobody was asking me to sponsor them at the time. Like couldn't be of real use to other people. And to me, it felt like all the lights that went out in the room, there was a spotlight on him and a spotlight on me. And he was talking directly to me. He hit me. He right. hit me with that. And he went on to talk. Yeah, he went on to talk about this God-sized hole inside me that I've been trying to fill with external things, money, sex, relationships, career. I kept putting all this stuff inside and and the hole just got bigger. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that's wrong. I believe in God, but that's when I realized that my belief in God wasn't taking me far enough, that I needed mm. an access. Yeah. And wow. so I, I grabbed a man. I asked him to take me through through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And we went through it, changing these statements into questions so I could find my own experience was, was totally new to me because the book came alive for me. And my life took off like a fucking rocket. Right. Like I never looked back from that. And I mean today it's like, like I have, I have seven felony convictions. I have 12 misdemeanors. I've been to state prison and – I mean, it's like I always thought my criminal history was was going to, uh, like, bar me from doing a lot of stuff. Like, I, I wasn't going to be able to go very far because right. nobody was going to hire me. So, and, and today I work for the Department of Defense. I mean, is that, is that good or is that God? That's, right. I mean, come on. That's incredible. It's incredible. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, like, it doesn't happen. But it's like, like a lot of footwork went into it, a lot of trust. And that was something totally new to me because it's like – I was in. I was under the impression that if I if something's going to get done, I need to do it on right. my power. Right. But I look at it. How well is that working for you? Mm-hmm. My power. Mm. My power was not working. So it's like it, after a while, it was just it was easy for me to see that like to become willing to turn turn this stuff, my will, which is my thinking, and my life, which is my actions, over to this power. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's like I do it and I get results. Mm-hmm. Powerful. <laughs> what? Um, there's a lot, lot, lot to swallow there. Yeah. What um, what practices or principles from the twelve steps do you think are the most effective in your life today? Nothing has changed my life more than um, ten and eleven prayer and meditation. Mm. <clears throat> like, like I use the eleven step in the morning upon awakening, and it's like again, it's about following directions for me today, and it's like. If you, if you don't know how to pray, if you don't know how to meditate, it, it tells you exactly what to do. My book has all kinds of writing all through it. I, every time the book says ask or we ask or asking, it's a prayer. I, did, I had no idea how to pray. So I went through, uh, I went through and I started outlining these, 
uh, every time it says those words in red, mm-hmm. I don't know how yeah. to pray. Bam, it's right there. That's that's what you, that's how I pray. And uh, using the tenth step all throughout the day to line up with God's will. And the tenth step is like is like an abyss. It's a bottomless pit of practices, which I had no idea about. And it's like watch, turn, ask, pause. And it's like I didn't know I didn't know how to work with these. Right? right. Watch. That's a practice for what selfishness, dishonesty, resent resentment, becoming afraid. Right. When these arise. Like I look for them throughout my day and after just – how do you get better at something? Practice, right? Yeah. So yeah. You're, once, once you're aware of it, like truth is a funny thing. Like you can't unhear truth. You can't unsee truth. So once I start seeing uh, like these – like usually it's after the fact. I'll right. say something, do something. Oh, I'm being resentful. Oh, that, I'm being dishonest. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm acting in fear. And it's like then I'm able to see it. Then in the future, I'm able – Catch myself, right. stop, and then turn out of it, and that that has been probably the most beneficial practice is turning my thoughts because usually it's over it's over money, like that's an easy one. Oh, I'm not making enough money. Oh, I'm not. I don't have enough. My bank account's not big enough. Whatever it is, and the thoughts would start to control me, and I just like I'd go on this just rant in my head. Nothing's going on out here, like right. to the contrary, but it's in my head, and I'm just going crazy, and I'm getting pissed. Mm-hmm. And once I I started using this practice of turning my thoughts. Like the thought would come in and then immediately turn, turn my thought. Nope. That's, that's not how it is. Like God's my sufficiency. Like that, that's my supply. God provides everything I need. And it's like, it's, it's, it's really gnarly. (laughs) Jared, what, what would you say to somebody who's struggling or who has issues with going through the, going through the work, going through the steps or someone who's just hurting in general, you know? Well, I would say give it a shot. Give it a try because I was I was totally against it. But it's like examine your beliefs, challenge your beliefs. Mm. Why do you have that belief? Where did that belief come from? And probably right. the most spiritual question I've ever been asked: How well is that working for you? Mm. Yeah, it's the <clears throat> the way that you make it sound. Uh, this big book is like a textbook for. Like a life like a class, right? right. Like, like imagine you were taking a trigonometry class. It actually talks about that. It, talk, right. it calls it the basic text. Textbooks right. are meant like I mean, if you've ever taken like college courses or in high school, textbooks are meant to transmit information. Right. The big book Alcoholics Anonymous is different because it's meant to transmit a spiritual experience. Ah, uh, but similar to a college course with the textbook, you would you would do that with a teacher. Yeah, right. That's how you can. Yeah, because. Uh, like I've read the book plenty of times on my own, and I just, I can't grasp it. I have to go through it with somebody who has the experience, right? So, for those that are listening, that would be a good place to start. That's some I epic, think so. epic shit. Yeah, epic Whoa. shit. That was good. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah, Jared. Thanks for that coming was, in, my man. That was, Thanks for that having was me. You. you did that. <laughs> you did that. For those that are listening, um, where can they find you? Uh, Wednesday night, Big Book Awakening. There we go. Boom. <laughs> San Diego, baby. Yeah. Mic drop. And that has been another episode of The Sober Life Audio, Audio Experience. Experience. Dun, dun, dun.
The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.